John chapter 19 this morning. John chapter 19. I want to read one verse. And then we're going to focus on one statement. John chapter 19 and verse 18. It says, Where they crucified Him, speaking of Calvary, and two other with Him, on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. The account that two others were crucified with the Lord Jesus Christ, one on either side, is recorded in all four of the Gospel writers. Matthew chapter 27, verse 38. Matthew 27, 38 says, Then were there two thieves crucified with Him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Mark. Mark chapter 15, verse 27. And with Him they crucified two thieves, the one on His right hand and the other on His left. Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, verse 32 and verse 33. And there were also two other malefactors led with Him to be put to death. When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified Him and the malefactors, one on the right and the other on the left. All four Gospel writers record this event. There were three crosses at Calvary that day. And all four Gospel writers draw attention to those three crosses. Why is this important? Why repeat this account in almost exact language four different times? Well, the first thing is because God thought it was important enough to repeat it four times. There is nothing in the Word of God that is not important. And God has put it there for us. It's not written by men or out of the imagination of those who wanted to create a new religion, but God spoke His Word. Holy Spirit moved upon holy men of God as they wrote the Word of God and God preserved it for us. And there's four accounts given, one in each of the Gospels. So God thought it was important enough to repeat it four times. Secondly, it is important because of the truth that is revealed in this account. Sometimes we can just read words and keep on reading and miss the truth that are behind the words. The truth behind the words. What is going on where there is the Lord Jesus Christ in the middle and one thief on His right and one on His left. And the third is this. It is important because of the example that is set before us in this account. Again, the three crosses of Calvary. The first one, the one in the middle, was the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Man. He is dying for sin, redeeming His people from sin. The second cross is is the cross of an unrepentant sinner 
He is dying in His sin and He is going to hell. The third cross is the cross of a repentant sinner. He is dying free from sin and He is going to heaven. Three crosses with three different things going on at the same time. The first cross that will draw our attention this morning is the middle cross. It is the most important, the most significant. The middle cross is where God's mercy and God's justice are met in the same person, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Psalm 85 and verse 10, the Scripture says, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace kissed each other. This, I believe, is a reference, a prophetic reference to what is going on at the cross at this time. There is mercy there, but there is also truth. The truth of God's justice, the truth of who God is, the truth of what sin is. There is mercy and truth met together at Calvary's cross. And righteousness and peace are met together at Calvary's cross. So at the cross of Jesus Christ at Calvary, mercy meets truth. Both are fulfilled. The faithful promise of a God who cannot fail is performing an act in His Son that will reveal His mercy. And the, at the very same time, this God who cannot fail is performing the truth of the justice of God against sin. At that same, in that same verse and at the same cross, righteousness meets peace to fulfill the promise of God to save sinners from their sin. Righteousness is a Hebrew word that refers to that which is morally and legally right. It refers to the law of God, the revealed will of God. Righteousness met there at Calvary. The law of God is displayed at Calvary. Yes, the love of God is displayed at Calvary. Mercy is displayed at Calvary. But so is the righteousness of God displayed at Calvary. And with righteousness, peace is also revealed at Calvary. As God deals with His broken law, and that is satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ, then God turns his heart and mind towards sinners whose sins have been paid for and looks on them in peace and mercy to save them from their sins. Sin is defined in the Word of God as the broken law of God. First John says that sin is a transgression of the law of God. The word transgression comes from a Greek word which means that it's been broken. It's lawlessness, sin is. It's contrary to everything that is morally and legally right in the eyes of God. When Jesus Christ took upon Himself the sin of His people, He took upon Himself every broken law, every transgression of the law that they had committed, He took upon Himself. At Calvary, the judgment against a broken law of God is poured out 
upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Righteousness meets there. Truth meets there. At the middle cross, when we examine it in light of the Word of God, what we see as many preachers preach, is a demonstration of the love of God, and that is true. But behind all that is going on, God's law has been broken. That's a definition of sin. Sin laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and God judging Him in that place. At Calvary, the justice of God due toward His broken law is satisfied in the Son of God who took that justice upon Himself. At Calvary, the condemnation of a broken law as a sinner is already condemned before God. A sinner is a condemned sinner. We don't say that phrase often. We usually the word sinner, but we don't add the... Uh, the, the word condemned or guilty. We don't say the guilty sinner or the condemned sinner, but these are truths revealed in the Word of God. At Calvary, the, con- the condemnation of the broken law is removed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the Scriptures in Romans chapter 8, verse 3. Romans Chapter 8, verse 3 says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. God did that. What the law could not do, God did. The law broken brings condemnation. The law cannot remove that condemnation because it is a broken law, but God can do something about it. God can deal with it. God can take the effects of a broken law and God can save a sinner because His Son suffered the justice of that. Jesus Christ took the condemnation and the punishment due to that condemnation. When sin was laid on Him by the Father, and when He voluntarily took took sin upon Himself, the justice of a broken law had to be administered to Him. And that's what's taking place in the middle cross. Before we look at the other two, we need to see clearly what's taking place in the middle. The broken law demands satisfaction. God, a holy God, demands satisfaction for the broken law. As I said last Sunday, if we understood that more, if our legal system in this country was a righteous legal system, men and women and children would understand that if you break the law, you pay for it. But they don't understand that today. And they can break the law with impunity and have no idea that they, they will one day pay if God does not save them from their sins. The broken law demands satisfaction. And the righteous satisfaction of God against the law 
fell upon His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as He took sin upon Himself, and God poured out upon His only beloved Son, His, His only, the Son of His love, the justice that demanded to be paid for a broken law. At Calvary, the guilt of a broken law, as I said well ago, sinners are guilty sinners. The guilt of a broken law is removed by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a lot of things going on here. At this moment in John chapter 19, Paul writes to the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, and he says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did He do that? Being made a curse for us. As He took sin upon Himself, Galatians 3.13, He was made a curse in our place. And the curse against the law of God fell upon Him instead of falling upon us. Instead of us being cursed, God put that upon Jesus Christ and the law of God was satisfied. The justice against the broken law was satisfied. God was satisfied in the death of His Son. The next chapter in Galatians chapter 4, Paul reminds these churches in the region around Galatia. In Galatians 4 and verse 4, he says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. For what purpose did God send forth His Son? Verse 5, to redeem them that were under the law, under a broken law, under the curse, under the condemnation, under the guilt of the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that they might receive the adoption of children. He was sent to redeem us, put under the same law we were under. We had broken it. He kept it. And then God gathered up our sins, all that broken law, all those transgressions, and laid them upon the Son of God. And what's happening at Calvary is that on the middle cross is that the Son of God is made, He who knew no sin is made sin for us. Paul writing to Titus in Titus chapter 2 and verse 14 says, speaking of Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity. That He might redeem us from all our transgressions. That He might redeem us from all our sin. He gave Himself for us in order to save us from our sins. The middle cross is a place of justice. The middle cross, because it is a place of justice, is also a place of forgiveness. When the penalty for sin has been paid, forgiveness flows freely from God toward the sinners for whom the penalty has been paid. In the five books of the law of God, the first five books that open up the Scriptures, Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, 
in those first five books, sometimes called the law of God. In the law of God, God declared that God is able and God is a God who forgives sin. Listen to Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7, where God reveals Himself to Moses. He says to Moses, and the Lord passed by. Remember when God put Moses in a rock and covered him there. He said, you can't see my glory. But I will pass by. You'll get a glimpse of who I am. And he begins to tell Moses who he is. And he says, the Lord passed by before him. And then God proclaimed. And proclaimed what? This is who I am. The Lord. The Lord God. Merciful and gracious. Long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Verse 7, keeping mercies for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. God declaring in the midst of the whole of the law of God, this is who I am. I'm a God who is able to forgive sin. In the book of the law, in the poets, I'm sorry, not in the book of the law, but in the poets, God is declared as a God who forgives sin. In the book of Psalms, Psalm 32, verse 1, the psalmist writes, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Psalm 32, 1. Whose sin is covered. In the prophets, God is declared as a God who forgives sin. The prophet Isaiah, quoting God in Isaiah 43, verse 25, says... God speaking, I, even I, am He that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. God says that. I'm the one that blots them out. I'm the one that will not ever remember your sin. That's what's taking place at Calvary. God is putting away our sin so it is no longer before His face. Blotting it out. In the shed blood of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that He might forgive sins. Micah, the prophet, chapter 7, verse 18 and 19. Micah 7, 18 and 19. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passes by transgression of the remnant of His heritage? He retaineth not His anger forever because He delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. Thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. God, casting all their sin into the depths of the sea of His forgetfulness. So they're never seen again, never brought up again, so that when we die and step out of this life into the next and stand before God whose eyes are so holy that they pierce to the depths of the soul. And God who opens the book and says, there is nothing found against this one. He is just. He is righteous. Enter into the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the earth. God at Calvary was satisfying the justice of the Almighty. God at Calvary was declaring Himself to be a God able to forgive sinners because 
the satisfaction of the law of God completed by Jesus Christ. The New Testament declares this, and the book of Acts, as the apostles went preaching everywhere in Acts chapter 13, verse 38 and 39, the apostle is preaching, and uh, this is the apostle Paul being sent out on his first missionary journey. He says in Acts chapter 13, verse 38, Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. He's preaching to Jews. And he is saying, men and brethren, listen to me. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can have forgiveness of sins. You can have forgiveness of sins. The middle cross is a place where justice was satisfied. The middle cross is a place where forgiveness is declared. And the middle cross is also a place of division. Jesus Christ in mercy took sin upon Himself. He took the justice for that sin upon Himself because He is the Son of God and because He freely took upon Himself both sin and the judgment of God against sin. He is both the merciful Savior and the righteous judge. At the very same time, He had already declared this to be true in the early chapters of John. He is the only one who can grant a sinner everlasting life. And He is the only one before whom all who will not repent and believe the Gospel message shall stand and be cast into the hell and the lake of fire. In John chapter 5, in verse 22, He says, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. In verse 26 of that same chapter, John 5, 26, He says, For as the Father hath life in Himself, so hath He given to the Son to have life in Himself. Verse 27, And hath given Him authority to execute judgment also, because He is the Son of Man. Given into the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ is the authority to administer life. Given into the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ is the authority to administer judgment. Those who come to the Lord Jesus Christ repenting of their sins and calling on the Lord Jesus Christ, He administers life to them. Those who will not repent and will not call upon him, He administers judgment to them. It is the same one that is at Calvary's tree who has satisfied the justice of the Almighty, who declares there is forgiveness for sin, who also has in His hands the, the keys hanging on His belt, the keys of life and death, the keys to heaven and hell. He opens heaven for one who will repent. He opens hell for another who refuses to repent. 
This is the Lord Jesus Christ before whom all the nations shall stand one day. Let's look at what the other two, the other two crosses. The other two crosses had upon them two men who were guilty of breaking the law of God and of breaking the law of Rome. Both sinners were exactly the same in the morning, early morning hours before they were crucified. Both sitting in a Roman dungeon, both dragged out uh, under Roman justice, both guilty, both condemned, both are exactly the same. Both having been judged and both having determined that they deserve the justice of judgment, they deserve to die. In Matthew chapter 27, I read one verse in that chapter earlier, but now we will go back and look again. Matthew 27 verses 38 through 44. Go with me over there as we read, as I read this morning. Matthew 27, 38, Then were there two thieves crucified with Him, the one on the right hand and the other on the left. And they that passed by reviled Him, wagging their heads. These are Jews reviling the Lord Jesus Christ. And saying, Thou hast, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself if thou be the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking Him and the scribes and the elders said, He saved others. Himself He cannot save. If He be the King of Israel, let Him come down from the cross and we will believe Him. He trusted in God. Let Him deliver Him now if He will have Him. For He said, I am the Son of God. Verse 44, And the thieves which were crucified, both of them, and the thieves also which were crucified with Him, cast the same reviling, the same mocking, cast the same thing at Him as the crowd would pass by, as a, as a religious group passed by, as they would mock and, and, and revile the Lord Jesus Christ. And both thieves, one on His right and one on His left, both of them cursing Him, both of them reviling Him, both of them mocking Him. Both in the same condition. But then something happens. Because that's not the end of the story. This is, this is three hours or so before both of them will die. Three hours or so before the Lord Jesus Christ has died out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. He'll say it is finished and then He dies. This is nine or sometime after nine and sometime before noon when all this is taking place. In Luke chapter 23, we have another account. This time beginning in verse 39. Luke 23, 39 says, And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. Verse 40. But the other answering rebuked him 
saying, Dost thou not, dost not thou fear God? We're three hours away. He doesn't know that. We're hours away. We're moments away from dying. Don't you fear God? Dost thou not fear God seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? You're hanging on a Roman cross. No one gets off of that alive. It's moments or a very short time and you are going to die and I'm going to die. And then he says these words, and we indeed justly. We deserve this. For we receive the due reward of our deeds. This is what you get when you break the law. Death. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Verily, verily I, verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in heaven. Both men were sinners. Both were guilty. Both were condemned. Both were exactly the same in the eyes of God. Why did one repent and believe the Lord Jesus Christ and the other remain in his sin unrepentant? Both fit the definition of sinners in Romans chapter 3, verses 10, 11, and 12, where the scripture says, As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. Not one is not more righteous than the other. Both are unrighteous. The Scripture goes on in Romans 10 and verse 11 says, There is none that understandeth. None that understandeth. One doesn't understand more than the other. There is none that seeketh after God. One does not seek after God any more than the other. They are all gone out of way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth God good. No, not one. One is not better than the other. Both are the same in the eyes of God. Both are fit the definition of sinners in Ephesians chapter 2 where it says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Both spiritually dead before the Almighty. Again, let me ask the question, how is it that one repented? and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and the other did not? There are two answers to that question. And we don't want to get hung up on one or the other answer because both go together. Both go together. The first answer is this. God moved upon the heart of one of them, giving him a new heart, opening his eyes so that he can see, opening his ears so that he can hear, and drawing him to the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that in Luke chapter 23. Because the second one began to see things differently than he saw them at the first. In the beginning, they are both railing, they are both cursing, they are both mocking 
In the beginning, they both want to be free from the cross. At the beginning, they are both guilty. But something happens inside the other one and he begins to look at himself first differently. He says, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly. We are justly condemned to death. Sinners refuse to look at themselves the way God does. They don't see that hell is a just reward for their life. They don't look at themselves and say, I'm a sinner and justice is owed to me. But if you could ever see yourself that way, there's hope for you. This man says we justly condemned, are justly condemned. And we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. We deserve this death. We deserve this. I knew before God saved me that I was going to hell and there was nothing I can do about it. I knew it. I knew I was wrong. But I didn't know what was right. I didn't know how to get out of it. And I found in the Scriptures that Jesus Christ would say, Thy sins are forgiven. And I thought, oh, if He could forgive them, maybe He could forgive me. Afraid to go to sleep at night. Afraid to die that I was going to wake up in hell. I was guilty and I knew it. What I didn't know is how to escape it. Until I read the Scriptures and found out that Jesus Christ could forgive me of those sins and take me to heaven. He sees Himself differently. But more than that, He also sees the Lord Jesus Christ differently. In the beginning, He was just another male factor. In the beginning, He was just as guilty in His mind as they were. In the beginning, the three of them were all guilty of death under Roman law. In the beginning, who is this man? But now he sees something differently across the heading at the cross. Is, this is Jesus, the King of Israel. You hear them mocking uh, them and saying, throwing His words back at Him. And he hears, this is what He has said. He heard the Lord Jesus Christ say, Father, forgive them. This is not the same kind of person as I am. And he begins to see Jesus Christ. And he says to the other thief, this man hath done nothing amiss. This man's not guilty. I'm guilty, but he's not. And then he turns himself to Jesus Christ and says, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Remember I said a couple of weeks ago, Jesus Christ was not all faint and wore out. He was in complete control of the events of that day. And He's hanging now on the cross and His body is dying, but He is not faint and He is not weak and He is not a frail uh, a human body hanging there. God is there also. And God looks over at this sinner who says, I am a guilty sinner and I deserve this condemnation. And God says to him, you're going to be with me today. I'm taking you home. Because He had already said in John chapter 6, 
that if you come to me, I will not cast you out. And so the first aspect of the, the first answer is this. God has done something in this man to give him some understanding of his condition. But secondly, and just as equal in the answer to the question, why is this man repenting and the other not, is this. When he understands his condition, when he sees himself as a sinner justly condemned, when he understood who Jesus Christ was, Lord and King, and even King over sin, when he understand that, when he understood that, he saw a personal responsibility for himself to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and seek help from Him to save him from his sins. He was personally responsible to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. To call upon Him to save Him from His sins. He did not hang upon that cross knowing that He was a sinner. Knowing that Jesus was King over all things including sin. And keep His mouth shut. He did not hang on that cross and say, oh well, if I'm one of the elect, I'll, be, I'll get into heaven. If I'm not, He did not hang on this cross and say, well, you know, maybe I need to do this or do that, but it's too late to do this and do that. He did not hang on that cross with understanding that He was a sinner and Jesus could do something about it without doing something about it. He called upon Him. He, he talked to Him. He turned His head to the Son of God, and said, please remember me. Because I can't do a thing about my condition, but you can. You can. He saw his responsibility to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let anyone deceive you in this matter. No one is ever saved who does not repent and believe the Gospel. No one who is ever saved who does not come to Jesus Christ for salvation. Jesus had said, Come unto Me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. You come, I will give you rest. Jesus had said and the Old Testament had declared, Call unto Me. Call, come, look. As the serpent is living in the world, uplift up in the wilderness. Look, and you will be healed. Look, and you will be saved. John three. God had said, "Call unto me." God had said, "Come unto me." God had said, "Look unto me." God had said something. He believed what God had said. And Paul wrote in Romans chapter 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. He's believing something. He sees something in this man in the middle cross. Paul goes on to write, for with a heart man believeth unto resulting in righteousness. And with a mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, whosoever believeth in Him should not be ashamed. 
For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Even a thief with only moments to live, even a thief that perhaps was involved in insurrection and murder and is dying under the death penalty, can he look to Jesus and live? Can a, 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 a leper who is full from his bottom of his feet to the top of his head and with a stench of leprosy come running to Christ and say, if you will, you can make me clean? Can a woman who had spent all that she had on doctors with an issue of blood come to Jesus and Christ and say, He can cleanse me. He can make me clean. Can a sinner call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and have Jesus save him? Yes. Yes. And when the Lord Jesus Christ promised that sinner that He would be with him in heaven that same day, our Lord, without saying it, was also saying that the other thief was not going to be with Him in heaven that day. He had not turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. He had not changed and seen Himself for what He was. He had not turned and seen the Lord Jesus Christ for who He was. Today you will be with me in paradise. You! And hearing those words out of the mouth of the Savior, the other sinner, you would think, what about me? Is it possible for me too? You would think, what about me? That he would turn to the Lord and say, what about me? Would you save me too? I'm a sinner too. I need a Savior too. But there is silence. And some of you sit here and you have seen God save sinners. And you sit here and you have seen and heard the testimony of those that God had saved. And instead of saying, Lord, what about me? Save me too. You go on with life with nothing but a step between you and hell. Thirdly, as I close, from this one example, we may learn that the Lord Jesus Christ divides the world into two groups. One group repents and believes on Him and will spend eternity in heaven with Him and the Father. One group will be lost, remain unrepentant, unbelieving, and will spend eternity in hell separated from God. Isn't it interesting? Today, you will be with me. What does that mean about this one? Well, He's not going to be with Him, is He? God's not there. You know, right now, God is right here giving you life and breath and all things. And for the rest of your life, 
However long it takes, God is right there. Right there. So close that a thought can reach Him. Given life and breath in all things. But you die without Christ and it's eternity without God. Right now He's here and you don't know it. Right now He's here and He's providing and protecting and watching over and drawing you in mercy. Right now He's removing obstacles. Right now He's preserving life. Even if you're lost. Right now He's causing the sun to shine and the crops to come up and people to be fed and the world is under the close oversight and supervision of the Almighty. But there's a day coming when we step out of this life, if you have unrepentant and unbelieving, you will not be with Him. He will not be there. In Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31, we read, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And before Him shall be gathered all nations. Not one shall escape. And He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. He shall set the sheep on His right hand with the goats on His left. Where will you be on that day? The answer to that question is is determined by where you are today. Where are you today? Because among sinners, there's no difference. Until one repents and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, then He has made a difference between them. He has divided His sheep from the goats. Where are you now? Let not the Word of God escape or be taken from you this day. You may not understand everything and you may not grasp all that has taken place at Calvary. You may not understand all that you need to understand. But you, and you may have questions, but you ought never to let the Word of God be taken from you. Because in it are the answers to your questions. The answer to the safety of your soul. The answer to the eternity of your soul. Where are you? What would have been your condition if you had been one of the two on that day at Calvary? Let's pray together.